Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This, another exciting episode in the book of Helaman. <laughs> uh, I just think they get better and better, the introductions. But this one's, this one's kind of crazy. Uh, it really is like um, a pull on your heartstrings kind of section from the Book of Mormon, especially for those of you who will picture like names and faces of, of people um, that you care really deeply about, that you feel like have lost their faith or even are um, like antagonistic um, towards faith. So this section of the Book of Mormon, I mean, it's so easy to say things like, oh, in the last days, like people are going to fall away um, just as a sign of the time. But like now when you think about, you know, who they particularly are, and it's, I think, really neat in this section to see a reclaiming God. One, uh, what, is, what does he do? What does he continually do? Um, for people as they are, are even antagonistic, not just struggling, but downright. Yeah, and or, in or, every or, step of the process, too. Yeah, yeah. We watch him all along the way. And it's neat to consider a little bit in these chapters, what is it that's making people antagonistic? This one and next one also. Leading up to the coming of Christ, you just get a really intense faith scene. Yeah, like it's very, like very snapshot of so many emotions right yeah yeah and it's almost like man like a, a we i know we've talked about divisions before but this one really seems to be although i think it would be really um i think we ought to be really careful to see like there will be people in the crowd with samuel the lamanite um while people are shooting arrows and whenever you see the picture you're like bad guy good guy you know like but there's people yes. in the crowd you find yeah. out whose hearts are being changed and I think I don't think it's like we always want to like um, not categorize someone as bad guy or, or good guy because everybody's gray, right? Everybody's yeah, like on the journey, right? Somewhere, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Anyways, a really neat chapter, particularly for those of you who are this time and next time thinking about this reclaiming, this reaching, this rescuing, this never giving up, <laughs> if that's a word, mm-hmm. um, God that you find. And what role do we play um, as friends, as family members mm-hmm. um, in that process? Yeah, and we'll watch it um, both this time and next time. And it'll be interesting as you're reading this week's reading and then next week's reading. You want to be watching for all of those people. You want to be watching for the person on top of the wall. You want to be watching in that crowd because we're going to see the people who are on the side of contention and division. And we're going to see the people on the side of um, just trying to hold on to what remains during that time and, and to the faithful and to keep as many faithful as they can and as you read through we think alma was the great war chapters but it's so interesting because helaman for me and and going into third nephi is one of the greatest spiritual battles for souls that we see anywhere in scripture i think yeah that's so powerful and i was thinking about this um friend of ours today that was uh, just talking about um just a struggle that they're dealing with with um, their own daughter. And he just said, man, I have helped so many people throughout struggles in their life. But when it became someone in my own home, like it, it got real and I felt a little blindsided to it. And I felt a little like 
panicked at what do I do next. And I really think these chapters are a great help for those in a, in a, in, in a faith journey mm-hmm. and, and maybe seemingly slipping, you know, yeah. in that place. Yeah, so good. So it's 13 through 16, Helaman 13 through 16. It's fun because it, it's, it's kind of like categorized for you in the Book of Mormon as the, here's Samuel the Lamanite. Um, who is sent, as you know, as somebody who, um, as a messenger for God to, to reach out. It's funny how they, I don't, I don't may or may not get into this, but how the people debate among themselves what makes good prophets and what makes bad prophets. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to me that how much of the character of God that Samuel the Lamanite shows, you know, especially when he comes in, he's rejected by people. And then he's like, well, then I'll try the wall. <laughs> and he climbs up on the wall and, and then he goes that way. And it's just neat to see um, a reflection of God's heart in, in Samuel's persistence and Samuel thinking outside the box and Samuel not giving up on the people of, of the city. Yep. And we'll talk about that reflection of God um, as we go through this lesson because we're going to watch God's attributes through this and that reflection of his heart as we walk through this whole process. We want to start right in chapter 13, verse 1, is where we're going to begin. So it says, And now it came to pass in the 86th and sixth year, the Nephites did still remain in wickedness, yea, in great wickedness, while the Lamanites did observe strictly to keep the commandments of God according to the law of Moses. And um, there's a couple things we're going to be watching through these chapters. One thing that you'll want to keep an eye on is the groups in the crowd. We talked about that um, and watching this division and contention and and then the faithful. Another thing that we're going to watch is the Lamanites and the Nephites all the way through um, these chapters. And it's interesting because do you remember clear back in Alma when we talked about Ammon and the anti-Nephite Lehi's and they put their swords into the ground, they buried their swords. And then there's that one scripture that we loved so much that said, and they never did fall away. Um, this, that they're gonna be in this group that we're talking about, these um, Lamanites who just stay true until the very end. They're just gonna hold firm. And um, so we're watching at this point in the Book of Mormon, the Nephites are not just in wickedness, but in great wickedness, it tells us. And, and I think it's interesting that word remain, because we're gonna talk a little bit about repentance tonight. Mm-hmm. As I was studying it again, I was thinking to myself, that's the problem, is that they're insistent on remaining in wickedness. Wickedness is not so much a problem because we're all going to stumble into it or jump into it sometimes. (laughs) The problem is when we decide to remain in it rather than repenting or removing ourselves out of that place. So So it's interesting that Mm -hmm. word remain in comparison with repentance that we're going to look at later. Yep, And we are all of those are the things we kind of wanted to start in that place today. But before we jump into that, we're going to talk about repentance and obedience a little bit and, and that um, remaining there. Sometimes when we word, read a word like strict obedience, right off the bat... We hate it. Yeah, it can ruffle some feathers. And I had an opportunity um, to be with a large group of women, probably, was it a year ago? Was that true September? now? Was that last I can't even remember dates. I think yeah. it was last September. And um, we had the opportunity just to be together and do a lot of learning together over a two-day period. And in one of the classes that we were in, um, we were kind of talking about these things. And one of the ladies in the room raised her hand and said, I have such a hard time with um, obedience. And when we're talking about strict obedience or exact obedience, 
because sometimes it sends us into a perfectionist mentality and we, we start wanting to make checklists and we're measuring everything up and we're not just measuring ourselves up, but we're measuring everyone up against this, what we think exact obedience looks like. Yeah, and well that just word strict, like all the kids started school again today and they're gonna come home and they're gonna say like, oh, I got the strict teacher, yeah. you know? Yes. And it's like, you don't want a strict teacher or like a strict police officer, but like, what if you had a strict doctor? Like you would like really <laughs> want, you know? That is so, so it kind true. of is like it's, the context of the word. It's trying to figure yeah. out, you know, what's, what is exact obedience? And as I sat there and thought about it, I thought, you know what, this is something I have been thinking about for a lot of years. In fact, let me tell you how many years, because many years ago, Elder Christofferson gave a talk in conference. It was in April, 2009. So that's been like a decade. Is that true? I'm like, is that true? You couldn't that, even remember um, last summer, so how do we know? I've been when thinking like, about this. Um, and it's this quote, which might feel familiar to some of you. It, it, this was my standout quote from that conference in 2009. It said, in times of distress, let your covenants be paramount and let your obedience be exact. Then you can ask in faith, nothing wavering according to your need, and God will answer. He will sustain you as you work and watch. And in his own time and in his own way, he will stretch forth his hand to you saying, here am I. Well, it was a year for us where where I was praying for some things that we were in desperate need of. And my first inclination was to think, okay, my obedience has to be exact, which went to a checklist for me really, really fast. I started thinking about everything that I had to do. It, it was so much pressure so quickly um, on me. And then I started thinking about... And maybe, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of you here, because maybe we get into that place because we think that his involvement or his miracle depends on, on our, our exactly right. Yes, like that's exactly. I think what gives the pressure. That is, like, is what gives the pressure for sure. I'm so glad you explained that. And so I started thinking about that because I thought I don't. It didn't feel right to my spirit that that would be true. That, yeah. Because that made God a scorekeeper all of a sudden. Or a vending machine. Right. If I put this many yes. obedience quarters in, right. I get what and I want. And that didn't make sense. So I started thinking about it and I started thinking, well, who do I know that has ever been exactly obedient? And it was so interesting because two people came to mind. Me. And one was you. <laughs> one was actually surprised me when it came to mind because it was the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. They were exactly obedient exactly um, when we read through they had the checklist they did all the things they, they knew how many steps they could take they knew all the rules they knew all the laws they were exactly obedient and their exact obedience actually led them to not see the miracle that's what happened in their life they didn't they didn't see the outcome of faith their exact obedience is actually what prevented it from happening. Yeah, pushed them away from yeah. Jesus, right? And then the other person would obviously be Jesus, right? If we were going to look at someone who was exactly obedient, it would be Jesus. But then I had to go back and start looking at the New Testament to try and understand, well, then what did that mean? Because he was not exactly obedient to the checklist that the Pharisees were keeping. He healed people on the Sabbath. They kept calling him out for these cultural rules that he was breaking. Um, and yet 
miracles were following him. And so then I had to start saying to myself, okay, what is exact obedience then? And as I started watching the Savior, I thought what, what he was obedient to is what the Father asked and to the Spirit. That was what he was obedient to, and that's how he measured his life and what he was going to do, which required his heart to be turned to the Father at all times. That, that's what had to happen. Obedience was him turning his heart to face the Father. And every time he did that, then miracles came in his life. And it's so interesting to think in my mind that everything on the checklist is actually meant to turn my heart to the Father. The things I would have thought I needed to do, the vending machine, it's, it's not actually to get something. It's to turn my heart to the Father. I go to the temple. I read my scriptures. I pray. I go to church when we can. I, I take the sacrament every week. You know, it's those, that's what we maybe would label obedience. In reality, it's just turning our heart to the Father and looking for His will in our life that comes through the scriptures. That's where His voice comes, right? It comes through church. It comes through listening to the prophet. It's every time I turn one of those directions, I hear the Father and then I am obedient to that. And all of a sudden, when that was exact obedience, when it just was turning to the Father so he could walk me through life, mm -hmm. I do want to be really good at that relationship. I, I want to be strict to that relationship with him. And it's such a different way of looking at it that um, it's less of a set of rules and a checklist and scorekeeping. And it's more of thinking every single day, okay, how am I entering into this relationship today? That's strict obedience. It's saying nothing will get in the way of my relationship with God. Yeah. I think that's what strict obedience looks like. And if you compared it to any other kind of relationship that you have, you would say like those ones that I really am intent on strengthening and I'm intent on like breathing life into you would like you would see it the, the same way mm -hmm. but we do it with small miracles and the great miracle of salvation where we're like if i do all of these things i will be saved if i do all of these things i will get the miracle that i that i demand it's like those are two, one and the same you know with yeah. with each other and when he starts talking about this idea of repentance we like thinking about there on the study guide so what's the relationship between repentance and strict obedience. And I think it's exactly what you were saying, which yeah. is it's not rule keeping and it's not penance because sometimes we think of repentance as this penance idea. Well, let me do my punishment so that I get what I want, mm -hmm. you know, in the end, but rather both of them, we found this new verse. Um, it's in that chapter 13 while Samuel the Lamanite's talking in verse 21. Well, maybe let's go yeah. through all of them. Yeah, let's start even at the very top. Yeah, because let's go I through love, all of them. Um, I love what he teaches us in verse 6 because it's so interesting how Samuel starts. And when are we going to talk about that part that I love about Samuel and his heart? It's in a minute. Uh, yeah, it okay. comes up. Um, yeah, start we'll come in back six. to that. So in 6, um, I love when the very first thing he says when he gets up on that wall is kind of like foreboding because he starts out, and this is his first words, nothing can save the people. 
That's how he starts to <laughs> the people, which I think would make me so nervous. Like, can it's you imagine teacher. someone standing up right now and being like, nothing is going to save you. And then you're like, really? Like, <laughs> that's it? And I love when he tells them the only thing that is, is going to be repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we want to think about that word repentance, that we both of us were so drawn to there's nothing can save you. You are in that dire of straits, except for repentance and and not thinking about it as penance, but thinking about it again as that um, turning your heart, right? You're just turning your heart again back to Christ because he's the savior. Um, so every time you turn back to him, that's what's gonna save you from this. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think initially that phrase ought to make people feel uncomfortable where you're like the only thing that can save you is repentance like that ought to like make you jar make you think like wait we haven't finished that thought because he says it's repentance and faith on the lord jesus christ so there's something about it that is is meant to connect us to him yeah it cannot be independent yeah it's not just that turning again but it's actually the faith or putting that trust in or leaning on him right. that's going to get you it through. It cannot be independent of him or it's not actual repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they have to be connected. Yeah. Look at some of these other verses that he uses to describe it. Eight, he says, because of the hardness of the hearts of the people, of the Nephites, except they repent, I will, now here's the opposites of repent. If they don't repent, I'll take away my word from them, withdraw my spirit, and I will suffer them no longer. So if you took the opposites of those, you would find a definition of repentance, which is, the opposite of taking mm-hmm. away his word is I would hear his word again. Or I, or um, I, I go I would, into right, his in, word. I yeah. love that thought of like, just enter in here. Right. Um, I w- withdraw my spirit would be to feel again or to live again, right? These are the, these are the ways. Or in verse 11, that returning mm-hmm. is um, another word that we look at. But one that we love in this chapter, you've heard some of those things before, is verse 21 where he says to the people of the great city, hearken to my words, hearken unto the words which the Lord has said. That's that's interesting, and we'll get into that in just a second. He said you're cursed because of your riches. Also, your riches cursed because you've set your hearts upon them. And we think a fantastic definition of repentance and strict obedience, the two of those is just resetting your heart on him. The problem is you've got your heart set on this or that. And he says, I want you to reset your heart and and now put it on the Lord. Or in 22, where he says, I, I, I wish that your hearts were drawn out, mm. you know, toward the Lord the same way that they are right now to your your money. And I, I, it'd be fun if Samuel had said, he's going to talk about their riches are going to become really slippery right here. And just to reassure them, but God won't be. Yeah. You know, he's something you can set your heart on and draw out to, and you will always find something there. Which is so good because it's often what we set our hearts on isn't sustainable long-term. We just don't know what's going to happen. That's part of mortality. Um, there's so many things that are uncertain or yeah. inconsistent, yeah. especially in 2020. I mean, everything you're like, and then we'll be doing this in August, and then we're not. And we'll do this in October, and then we're not that you love that in this world of change, even clear back here, here, he's saying, there is one thing that is constant that you can 
put your faith in and and just strictly count on um and and that is jesus christ which i love um i love that about him do we want to go back to that first part that we loved because the heart thing yes. yeah there's a couple other things here we want to point out that he, that he says um yeah let's do the heart thing first or okay. do we want to do this one no, let's, no, let's do, do that next. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's so fun when he starts out as he's going to the wall um, that morning or whenever it was. And it says um, he, he had come to preach and they cast him out. And then in verse 3 it says he did return again. And you love already. You're just you're already seeing um, that not only do our hearts turn to God, but you just watch God's heart returning over and over again to this people. And um, it says, the Lord tells him, I want you to say whatever, whatsoever things I should, whatsoever things should come into your heart. That's in verse three. And in verse four, it says, he got up on the wall and he stretched forth his hand and cried with a loud voice and prophesied unto the people whatsoever things the Lord put into his heart. And then he says, behold, I, Samuel, a Lamanite, do speak the words of the Lord, which he doth put into my heart. And as both of us were reading through these, we were like, why, why did they put such an emphasis on that three times in a row in just those short verses? Why did they keep wanting us to realize that the words have been put on his heart? And as I was reading, I thought to myself, it's so interesting because they are clearly helping us to know this is not Samuel's agenda. This is the Lord's agenda. He has come, he has climbed up on that wall to say whatever the Lord wanted to put in his heart. And I love that that's how this conversation is going to go because Samuel is the instrument, but the conversation is the Lord's. Yeah, and I think it's really cool. I just noticed for the first time that he doesn't say whatever I put into your mind because I, I think you would almost hear the Lord saying like, this is not like about losing numbers of people mm -hmm. or anything. This is a heart issue for me. Like I feel deeply for these people. Like this needs to be emotional yeah. and passionate. And it's so good. It's neat. He says a couple of things. We love this concept of angel dominoes mm -hmm. that you'll see on your study guide where it just says, um, in seven, he says, an angel of the Lord declared the glad tidings to my soul. And now I've come up on the wall that I can declare the glad tidings unto you. And you'll see in like the next chapter when people change, um, then they're going to go out also. And so there's this neat idea of the good news being passed on from person to person to person and how neat it is that all of us have that spiritual pedigree, right? That yeah. faith that where, where did, who instilled the good yeah. news in, in me? Us. And, and know, I think it's it interesting on. too, as you think about that, I love that in this time of turmoil and as Samuel's going to go, um, get up on a wall, the arrows are going to be shot at him and he will disappear after this moment and never return again. Um, who's going to describe that as a moment of great joy, you know? Yeah. Um, I, when I read that, I was like, it's so interesting that he's like, and then the angel was like, you go to those people and bring them glad tidings. And what's he going to get for his glad tidings, you know? That um, it's so interesting that that's how the angel has him enter in is you you have good news you have glad tidings this is happy this being on the wall is happy <laughs> and do you think he was like no it's not um, but I love too that um, he he says to the people I mean it's just so like innocent and naive I came up here so you would have the happy things the angel told me about too I came to bring you glad tidings of great joy. That's what I came. And I, I think it's so interesting, this one line after that in verse seven, 
but behold, you would not receive me. And it, it makes me think to myself, oh, there he is up there and he's like, I have a gift. And it's a gift that is gonna make you smile. It's a gift that is gonna change your life. It's, it has all of the good things I could bring. And a group of people who are like, we don't, I don't want that gift. Um, and just that choice of agency as you're going through and as we're watching those people in the crowd to realize some are gonna grasp hold of that goodness and some are gonna say, I actually don't want that. Yeah. happiness i don't want that gift right yeah now. and i think it's because they think they're going to lose a treasure mm. instead of gain a new one yes you know he's yeah. like i'm not taking away what your heart is set on i'm giving you a new treasure to set your heart on and i promise you it's better you know than the last one yeah um and it's that thought of important things i mean that's what we're going to talk about now is um that when um the lord comes and looks down he's like these are important things to me you know, that's what he's saying to Samuel. These are important to me. And, but when you look at the people, it, that's not necessarily true of them and their hearts. And as you go through and just look like, I love this question we have in the book, um, never underestimate the power of your influence and where can you love? And it, it almost is that thought of who, where are the important things and how are you investing in those important things, whether it is the father or the son or whether it is your people, you know, what is your influence because of the love we have experienced for those people? Yeah, and it's neat to think about, there's some people in there who will find that good news because Samuel was willing to go up on the wall. And mm -hmm. I just, I, I, like I think to myself, there's that line where he says, it's because of the righteous that are in this city, that the city is being spared. And, and I wrote in my study guide journal, and thank God for them. Because, you know, can't you just think of people that you're like, were it not for you, dot, dot, dot. You know, mm -hmm. I, I would have never found this. I would have never discovered this in my life. I, I was listening to a, a, a man uh, tell a story and he used to be, um, he was a comedian and spent a lot of time in Vegas. And he told a story of a truck driver who came through Vegas and stopped by the comedy club and they met. and. Um, started this relationship and, and he said he is the one who introduced me to Jesus mm. and he was older and now owned this restaurant and he says which is why I will never take his his payment for his dinner <laughs> you know and the other guy said which is why I ordered the most expensive thing um, but I just thought it was so neat that he's just like man had you never had your truck if you never got off the freeway at that exit you know I never would have found him and it's so neat to think about God sending these different types of angels and our role as yeah. one. Yeah, right? that's so good. I have written in my scriptures in that same place. Um, if it's because of the righteous you are saved, then every parent, every sibling, and every friend needs to know the power of their influence. Mm -hmm. That um, just in that, in that part where you feel like you are in a righteous place, um, we have so much to offer to other people. I was listening this week too to someone talking about a really similar situation. And I love that she said you need to um, you need to think about as you enter into relationships, how could I disciple this person? How could I mentor this person? And she gave four questions that I've been thinking so much about. Um, she says, um, as you enter in, you should think to yourself, what do I know about this person? And what do I not know? about this person and how is that going to play into this relationship and it was interesting because she's a single woman who was talking and she said what I what I know about 
Um, this person is, um, even though they're married, even though there's things that I don't know what it is like to be married or I don't know what it's like to raise children, I know what it is like to feel lonely. I know what it's like to worship Jesus Christ. I know what it is to read scripture. We both know that and to find that. And then I love um, the, the second two questions she asked is, what do they need from me? And what do they not need from me? Hmm. And as I thought about it, I was like, that's so interesting to think as you think about your influence, to just think about those things as you enter into those relationships, because some of them might be easy to navigate, but some of them may not be easy to navigate. If you are in a place where you, uh, where righteousness is working for you right now, but you're gonna enter into a conversation with someone who that doesn't fit comfortably for, um, to be able to say, what do they need right now from me and what do they not need right now from me and that lifting, but also the power of knowing it's okay when some people are struggling because the Lord just taught us right now um, that a whole city will be saved, whether they're strugglers or not, as long as there are righteous there. And a whole family might be struggling, but the power of the one or the two righteous there can have so much influence in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And I think he kind of talks about this a little bit, where he talks about to the city, we've written it, your five, my five. That's from Samuel's point of view, where he's just kind of saying, here are the things that are really important to you right now, and it might be why you're finding life to be a little bit unsatisfactory. He's gonna use the word cursed, which makes it sound like God's cursing them, but he's just kind of describing like, you know, if you're alone at night and thinking about what your life is like, you might use the word cursed. Like mm. it just doesn't feel like it is right, like something's wrong, and he's like, let me tell you why. Let me tell you what the problem is. And then let me tell you the solution or the remedy to that, to mm -hmm. kind of bring that life and light back yeah, into Yeah, it's almost as if you. he's saying, here's your five most important things right now. And let me contrast that against my five most important things and just see if, um, if it would make a difference for someone. Which reminds me, we forgot to show people the boards. So what if oh. we do right this second? Because we're going to be talking about all those things right here on this um, on this side and we're just coming out of right here it is because of those um, who are righteous that that city is being saved um, right now and then he's gonna go through and show them he's like let, let me show you what this looks like yeah and again it's really interesting for him to be like listen I'm the one on the wall and I'm afraid of heights <laughs> and the one having arrows thrown at me or I don't know if anyone's was throwing an arrow but you know rocks and arrows shot at me and yet I am the one who's calling this glad tidings you know, so it's, uh, you almost feel like there's people in the, in the crowd who'd be like, what is it about you? Like, yeah. how come? And he's just like, well, let me just explain it to you. So the and things you know that what, he says um, to them. You know what you were going to talk about that I actually want you to talk about right now is as we get into this part is as we look at God's heart and we, we started here. Um, where you talked about God's going to reclaim his people, whatever it takes. And um, we saw last time, if it's a famine, then that's what's going to happen. Um, if it's people losing their riches, he's not afraid to try that. If it's putting someone up on a wall, he's going to do that. Like we're going to watch him try and reclaim in ways that maybe feel more natural and normal to us. And in some ways that we're like, why is he, why is he doing it that yeah. way? 
Um, but it's just his nature to try every language in order to reclaim as many as he can. Yeah. Oh, and you were talking about kind of like the liter, like the. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. as you read through this, these chapters, this time and next time, you might be a little bit taken back at some of like the strong language that's used. Um, one of that is just translation, right? We're coming from, you know, like a 1828 English and like mm-hmm. some of the words, you know, that um, would have been perfect to describe things back then have lost a little bit of their, you know, meaning like words like destroyed. You'll see that in the Doctrine and Covenants too. He's like, I will destroy them if they don't. And you're like, whoa, all of a sudden <laughs> God became like the, the Death Star or something and it kind of takes you off. But a lot of times there's a lot of um, scripture scholars who will just talk about that being a literary device. Um, that it will say God will destroy this people. When in reality what's happening is God will allow them to self-destruct. He will allow their mm-hmm. agency in a way to bring about like soul and civilization mm-hmm. destruction. Once, I mean, this happens naturally. Once a person breaks down and a family breaks down, the civilization is right behind it. And it's just like, God's not doing it. But the literary device that's being used here is, I, I, you know, I will destroy this city. Um, and, and it makes God seem like me, really. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, whoa. And it's like, yeah. no, 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 really, this is just the consequence of... And we'll talk about this a lot in the Old Testament year, mm-hmm. but that's two years away. So let's just give a hint for it right now. Uh, of this, yeah, I, we're so excited. Yeah. Should we just say how excited we are for Should the Old Testament? Skip? Everybody, you already can't wait for the Old Testament year. But let's just say this. The greatest image or picture of God's heart is Jesus on the cross. Mm. So if ever words or actions of God don't align with who you see in Jesus on the cross, then we're like missing something. Then there's something that we just haven't, you know, seen yet. Yeah. Um, but you can just so assume good. the best about his heart because he is gonna do whatever it takes to reclaim these people. So he's gonna go through right now, we're gonna start in 13 verse 21, 21 yeah. um, is where we're gonna start. And he's just gonna lay out for them really quickly. Here's here's the your five most important things right now. See if I'm right on this. It's almost as if he's saying, um, and this is this is why the curse is gonna come, he tells them. It's because you're set on these five things. Um, he starts at the bottom of 21. You set your, um, he talks about their riches. You set your hearts upon them and not on the words of God. That's number one. Number two is in verse 22. You do not remember the Lord, your God. You're not remembering him as you go through this process. And three hooks right into that. Um, you just remember your riches, but not to thank God for them. So you've, you've forgotten to remember him. And third, you've forgotten to thank him for where you are. Fourth is, I'm talking about their hearts. They're not drawn out to him. Instead, they just swell with pride, he says. And um, the last one is in verse 24, that you do cast out the prophets and do mock them and cast stones at them. This fifth one is actually gonna become really important when we get to 3 Nephi 11. So you're gonna maybe wanna mark that in Helaman 13, 24, because we're gonna revisit that. This, This fifth thing becomes what does or doesn't allow someone to be standing when Jesus comes at the very end. This becomes the marker of that which I think is so interesting. 
And I love that Samuel, like they, they weren't left wondering if they should or shouldn't do that. Here, clear back here, which this is um, 6 BC. So how many years do they have left? Minus 33. 39. No, minus. So they have 20, 27 years before Jesus is going to come. Am I what? right? No, you have to go not? 6 up to 0. Oh, oh that's and right. Then. And then. <laughs> That's right. So it is that long of a period of time before um, that they have to prepare, which is a, a lot of time. Like Samuel's like, here, let me just give you a hint. This is one of the things you're going to be want to be working on. Yeah. Listen to the prophets. Listen to their words. Don't stone them. Um, and we don't stone prophets in our day, but I always like to think to myself, but do we? Hmm. You know? Yeah, but it just uh, does seem to be a little bit more intense than like, <laughs> you know, than yeah. like rejecting their words or yeah. like, you know, just yeah. like, oh, I don't know, but. Yeah. Um, well, and he, and he tells them, you you cast them out, Yeah. you mock them, and you cast stones at them. And it is interesting that we do, this many years later, have that little thing, sticks and stones, Yeah. you know, <laughs> won't break my bones, but words. It, it just is interesting as you think about that. When I read and noticed that the first time, I was like, well, luckily we don't do that. Like, I don't know anyone who Has thrown a rock at President Nelson. Yeah. yeah. But then it made me just stop for a minute and think, but, but do we? Because I wonder if we do fit into this 24 sometimes. And what would need to change in order to, to reset our heart in that regard? Yeah. Um, it's interesting to like look at his words and to think like which words were so upsetting to you that you thought you wanted to shoot an arrow at yes. it. Like, and I think that's a reflection more on your heart than it is on his teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as you were reading those, I, I just thought again about this whole idea of relationship that, you know, what would my relationship with Jenny be like if I had my heart set on my stuff and not her, if I never remembered her? If I never was thankful for anything that she did, if I just thought about my own thoughts only all the time and rejected any of the gifts that she gave me, it's just kind of like... That wouldn't last just, very long. No, it wouldn't. And, yeah. and you would say like, oh, this is a cursed relationship, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, it is. You cursed it, you know? Mm -hmm. Versus where he says... Well, and wait, I, I want to point out this one more. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Because it's so interesting that you think of who is the prophet um, in that moment, and it's... Samuel, right? He's the one on the wall. He's the one who is um, is sharing the counsel from God. He's the the voice of the Lord in that moment for those people. And what are they doing? Is casting those stones. And then I love when he says this: "Behold, you are worse than they. For as the Lord liveth, if a prophet, I'm in twenty six, come among you, and declareth unto you the words of the Lord, which testifies of your sins and iniquities. You are angry with him and cast him out." and seek all manner of ways to destroy him. Yea, you will say that he is a false prophet and that he is the sinner and of the devil because he testifies of your deeds. And it's just exactly what you were talking about, that what were the words that angered them? And to think about that, even in our own life today, are there ever words that we're like, I don't know if I wanted him to say that. You yeah. know? And, and just to think about how do we get to the point where we trust the words that have been put in the heart of the mouthpiece of the Lord. Yeah, and just to anticipate that every word, however it may look on the mm -hmm. outside, has love in its center. Oh, I love that. 
You know, it's so good. whatever it's dressed up as, yeah. find, find the love in it because you will. Now Samuel just says this, let me tell you why I can call this good news. Starting in 1411, he says, um, listen, I hear and I know God. And um, I know the conditions of repentance. This is 1411. And remember all that about repentance. Like I know what it means mm -hmm. to hear him and, and live again and feel him again. Um, and what it takes to repair, you know, relationships. Verse 12, I know of the coming of Christ. I have hope that beats in my veins is what he's saying. Um, that verse also, I know the signs of his coming. I'm watching for them. I'm anticipating him. I see his fingerprints and echoes of him mm -hmm. like all around. And all of those in verse 13, they cause me to believe on his name and experience a remission of his sins through his merits, which helps me know him and thank him. And mm -hmm. again, and yeah. it's this reciprocal, it really is just breeding life in my story again and again. And he says, this, this is why um, you're experiencing that and um, others are experiencing this. I think it's so interesting to think about both of those fives and just think, where am I on that list? And how could I lean more to have the heart of Samuel? Yeah. Um, to let those things be what's important to me. I love when he says, I know. I know this and I know this and I know. And there's such good things as he talks about. I know the Lord. I know who he is. Um, and that I know how to reset my heart towards him. But I love when he starts saying, I, I know the signs of the times. I know he's going to come again. Like there's so much hope in that knowledge yeah instead of comparison to you're trying to make me be really strict you're trying mm -hmm. to hold me down you're trying to take things away and you're trying to make me have penalties and it's just like oh you've you've, you you've totally it. missed what is actually happening here mm -hmm. and we love this whole idea as, as we think through this like what role might we play in this reclaiming and in this phrase of leading people to faith because he is so great to say Look, there is this group of people. Here's another literary device, 15.4, <laughs> where he says, the Lamanites he hated because of their deeds had been evil continually. God never hated the Lamanites. It's just a literary device. But he says, but now salvation has come to them through the preaching of the Nephites. And he prolonged their days so that that could even happen. He's mm -hmm. just like, listen, let me tell you some good stories of people who, you know, who have found this, who have made the change, people you never thought would, and, and they did. Um, I wonder what his relationship is, you know, to those who buried their swords. Yeah. Don't you wanna know, mm -hmm. like, were you one of them? Yes. Were you a kid of them? Yes. Were you like, did you grow yeah, up on those stories? Story? Yeah, I wanna know. Dying yeah. to know. Because he just comes story. and then disappears. Yeah. And I'm like, what is your tale, brother? Um, all, all this, but this whole idea of this box, how to lead people to faith. I mean, just this is a reflection box here at the end. Just think of like, what's kind of pricked your heart to think, how do I lead someone mm -hmm. to know God, to see the beauty of repentance, mm -hmm. to anticipate his coming? Faith is trust in him and it has to precede obedience, right? This idea of like, I, I want to know him first, be intrigued by him first. Mm -hmm. Uh, have a sense of like longing for him first, you know, and yeah. it, it seems to lead to, you know, that repentance the places that will reset your heart right. on him, which we love. Um, I think it's so interesting as we get into um, 
this last line where we're going to talk about um, become the most believing part, and this is going to be in 16, is where we are going to be in verse 6, is where we want to start. Because once he leaves, now there's responses to yeah. that message, right? The message came, and now here's the different responses to it. And it tells us this, but the more part of them did not believe in the words of Samuel. And um, so when they saw they couldn't hit him with their stones and with their arrows, they, they said, you take him and you bind him. And, and they're angry. And we want you to notice those words, the more part. Like out of that entire crowd, um, first of all, I think it's awesome that it doesn't say a no one believed, right? Just the more part, which is interesting because there was only a few whose hearts were changed by what Samuel was willing to do in that moment. But I love that God is okay with just reclaiming however many want to be reclaimed in that moment. And even if it's just a few, he'll put someone up on the wall um, for that. I love the thought of that. Um, then it tells us in verse um, 12, 12 yeah. and then in 15, and there was but little alteration in the affairs of the people, save it where the people began to be more hardened in iniquity. Um, so we first saw the more part did not believe, then we saw the more um, they became more hardened. And then in verse 15, there is this one line that is so good. Nevertheless, the people began to harden their hearts, all save it were the most believing part of them. And we love that line. We love the thought of becoming the most believing part. What would that look like after we come out of this situation? What does it look like to become the most believing part in this situation. Next week, we're gonna enter into a really interesting part of the Book of Mormon, particularly as you think about, it's gonna lead right up to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And um, we know that the Book of Mormon is a pattern for our day. And so as we read through that, we should also see things that would lead into the second coming of Jesus Christ as well. Um, usually when I read, my thoughts are so focused on what was going wrong. That's what you feel as you're going through. We're going to see a lot of contention, a lot of division, um, a lot of what isn't working there. And one time when I read through, I was like, I want to watch this most believing part. Mm. I want to watch those people go through the next seven chapters and see what was it that they did that allowed them to be prepared in that moment when Jesus came and what would that look like for me and for my family and for my home and we'll talk about that in great detail next week but I want you to think about that because we're not just seeing this um, the more part here that's leaving we're gonna watch that as we go forward um, we're gonna see it as we get um, then into third Nephi 7 and all the calamities actually come in chapter 8 so right at the end of what we'll study next week. It just tells us these things that are so similar. Um, it tells us um, the more righteous part of the people had nearly all become wicked. So that's what has happened from where they were here in Samuel's time. By the time we get to right before Jesus comes. Um, so interesting to me that um, the more righteous part of the people had nearly all become wicked. Don't you think that's so interesting? Mm -hmm. Um, it tells us in 3 Nephi 7, 8, verse 8, And thus six years had not passed away since the more part of the people had turned from their righteousness. So again, and then in 3 Nephi 7, 21, it tells us in that, um, at that time, in the 31st year, there were but few who were converted to the Lord. 
And as I was reading through that, I thought to myself, it's so interesting because a lot of times I'll have conversations with people. And um, in recent years, I've had conversations with friends who um, do, are not religious and don't have religion. And they'll say to me, it's so interesting that you stay a member of your church because so many people are leaving. Like that should, that should alert you to something that so many people are leaving. And I always think to myself, it's so interesting when you say that to me because it makes me think of um, second coming prophecies. It makes me think of signs of the times where we're told in Revelation, the book of Revelation, and in the book of Matthew, the signs of the times chapter there. And even here, as we're watching from Samuel the Lamanite all the way to the end, that what is common is for people not to stay true to their faith to their belief. When all of this starts playing out, the most common reaction is actually to leave. That there's not many people who become the most believing part and stay the most believing part until the end. And many, many years ago, I said to myself, I'm gonna make a commitment right now that no matter what happens, in the world, no matter what the signs are, no matter if the more part are leaving, I'm not gonna be that person. I am gonna be the person who believes until the day Jesus shows up, whatever day that is. I want to be one of the ones standing in that moment, even if it is gonna be hard, even if I watch everyone around me fall away, um, that I just, I made a commitment. I, I know that's gonna happen. I know that's a sign of the times. I know that is what is gonna take place in the last days. Um, and it reminds me every time someone says that, why, so many people are leaving religion. Why do you stay? Why? Because I want to be standing when Jesus comes. I want to, that's, that's what I want. And I think we live in a time where we almost have to stop and make that commitment that I'm gonna be the most believing part. I'm gonna be numbered in that group, no matter what happens. Um, and clear back to that one that we talked about, I will be part of the righteous that will help save the city. I wanna be one of those people. Yeah, and it's just neat to think that, why not, you know? Mm. Like if someone were to say like, and why do you stay? And you're like, well, because I know God and I know what repentance looks like and I, I reset my heart. I anticipate his coming. I know the signs, I believe on his name. Those thir 16, 13 and 14, I'm experiencing great signs and wonders and angels and like, mm. this is what I'm experiencing and this is why I stay. And, and if, I think when people are saying like, why are you leaving religion? They're thinking, why are you leaving strictness? Mm. I mean, why are, you staying, so why are you staying with strictness? And why are you staying with penance? And why are you staying you know, with, with all of those things. And you're like, oh, I think you misunderstand. I'm staying with God. Mm. And it's that relationship that I enjoy too much um, to change the pattern in my life. Oh, so. that's so good. Okay, so okay, next week, oh, it's going to be so five. good. Okay, see you then. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.